Along with religion, holidays are an important part of Irish society. These holidays feature a mix of Celtic and Christian traditions, including Celtic seasonal celebrations. Samhain, held on 31st of October, is the Celtic New Year's Eve, which marks the end of the harvest. It is also known as All Hallows' Eve, or Halloween, a Christian holiday. In Ireland, people celebrate the day by having bonfires, wearing costumes, and honoring ancestors. Samhain is, of course, the precursor to Halloween, and the rituals of Halloween are from the traditional Samhain rituals that have been folded into our Halloween celebrations. Some will know the ancient Celtic roots of the candy-filled fun night. Many won't. Samhain, or Halloween, originated in Ireland. Halloween in Ireland is a time of feasting, special events, parades, and good times with friends. It is also a time to be on the lookout for the monsters that also love Halloween. One of them tends to favor showing up on All Hallows' Eve to hunt for his next victim, riding his dark steed with a headless body. Welcome to Freaky Folklore, the podcast where we discover the horrifying legends across the world and tell terrifying tales of monsters both ancient and modern. Today we are discussing the Dullahan, the real headless horseman from Irish folklore. This show is part of the EerieCast podcast network. Find more terrifying tales at EerieCast.com and be sure to follow us on Spotify or your favorite podcasting service. You can leave an honest review on iTunes, too. The more we get, the more we grow, and hopefully, the more monsters we can explore. If you would like to submit an encounter or suggestions for future episodes, you can email them to carmencarrion at gmail.com. That is C-A-R-M-A-N-C-A-R-R-I-O-N at gmail.com. You can also follow me on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook for information on future episodes. Every year around Halloween, Connor, along with his friend Mark, went on a hunt for spooks and monsters. This year, they were supposed to travel to the location of Connor's favorite scary childhood story, Sleepy Hollow, New York. This had become a tradition since their first hunt right after high school when they traveled to Wisconsin to look for the Beast of Bray Road. They had managed to collect a lot of cool stories from the locals and had spent several nights camping, scaring the devil out of themselves, but never found a trace of the beast. Since then, they had made nine similar trips in search of mythical creatures and legends, each ending with much the same results. It didn't deter them, though. It was the excitement of the hunt and meeting new people who believed in these things that made it worth it. Only, after months of planning and research, Mark had broken his leg water skiing. He wasn't going to be able to make what would have been their 10th hunt, and this one was very special to Connor. So Connor hesitantly invited his girlfriend, Stacia, but her reaction was not what he had expected. She laughed at him and told him that he was chasing fairy tales. You do know that the legend of Sleepy Hollow is just a story, based on a real legend? I would go with you, if you were hunting a real ghost or monster. She had been reading a book on the couch after dinner that evening, when he brought it up, and after her reply, she buried her nose right back in the book. 
Connor was speechless for a moment, but then realized this must be payback for never letting her go with them before. Stacia, that's not the point, he began, but she interrupted him. I will go on one condition. We go to where the real legend began, and that is not in Sleepy Hollow, New York. I have been doing my research too, ever since last year when you and Mark picked the trip destination. She never looked away from her book as she was talking. The Headless Horseman is originally called the Dullahan, and it started in Ireland. Her reply was a little smug, and Connor couldn't help but smile. For some reason, he thought it was cute when she got smart with him. I know that. I've read everything I could find to read on it, but I can't afford to go to Ireland. The cost to fly overseas is four times as much as the cost to drive to New York. Stacia finally looked up from her book, and it was written all over her face that she was extremely happy about what she was going to tell him next. You may not be able to afford it, but I can. Then she went back to looking at her book before finishing with, I have been saving and I have already priced the tickets. You have been planning this, Stacia? He laughed. Did you find a way to break Mark's legs, too? No, that was just luck, she laughed. Not for Mark, but for me. They spent the rest of the evening planning the trip and planning an exact destination. It says here that the Dulahan is particularly active in the most remote counties of Sligo and Down. Let's see what towns are in those counties and how far they are from the airport, Connor told Stacia. He had been looking up information on his laptop. I will see what I can find, Stacia replied as she begins pecking away on her iPad. How about Ballymote? It looks like it's less than half an hour from the airport, and it looks like a pretty cool place. There's a castle that dates back to the 1300s nearby. That's where the town got its name. I'll see what kind of lodging they have to offer there. She was quiet for a couple of minutes while she did her search. It's kind of confusing. They use counties, towns, and provinces, which is different from what we are used to. Provinces are like states. Ballymote is a county in Sligo. I've got it! She practically yelled, making Connor jump. The Coach House Hotel. I will book us a room, but for how long? A week? She asked excitedly. Connor leaned back and closed his laptop. Sounds good to me. We can go over the rest of the details tomorrow, though. It's getting late. The weeks before the trip seemed to drag by. Connor couldn't wait to see Ireland. He still couldn't believe this was actually happening. They spent every evening discussing the legend of the Dullahan and looking for stories online. They planned the places that they would visit while they were there, right down to the restaurants they wanted to eat at. The day finally arrived and Connor could not wait to board the plane. He was like a kid visiting Disney World for the first time. The only downfall was the flight had two connecting flights, which made the trip over 18 hours. By the time they reached Ireland, they were both too exhausted to make the drive to Ballymote, so they found a hotel to get some rest. That didn't keep them from noticing how beautiful it was here. The next morning, they were surprised to find out that they had been wrong about the distance from Sligo to Ballymote. It was only 18 minutes by train. Riding a train was something they had never done. 
They were both more excited than ever that things seemed to be going so well. Connor took their good fortune as a sign that this may be one of the best trips he had ever been on. Maybe he could actually find a Dulahan, although according to legend, you should never want to see one. That would be like someone from America going out into the woods, deliberately looking for a werewolf, which would mean certain death. The train ride was short, but the scenery was breathtaking. Connor struck up a conversation with a local that was sitting next to him. The gentleman's name was Seamus, and he told Connor about growing up in Ballymount. When they finally arrived and exited the train, Seamus stopped and patted Connor on the back and said, Don't lose your head while you're here. Then he sauntered off. Connor looked at Stacia puzzled. I didn't tell him we were hunting the Dulahan. That is weird. And kind of creepy, Stacia added. They were only a block or so from the Coach House Hotel, so they decided to walk. Right before they got there, the sky began to cloud over, and a heavy mist began to fill the air, adding a perfect ambience to a trip intended to search for a deadly spirit. The hotel was gorgeous, with red carpet everywhere except for the Danette Restaurant and the O'Hara Bar. Those areas had beautiful hardwood floors. Their room was exquisite, with the same red carpets and a curtained four-poster bed. It was easy to lose sight of the reason they were there and just soak in the beauty of their surroundings. After unpacking and settling in, they ate a lunch in the restaurant and then decided to explore. It was a market town, as they had read online, and the town did not disappoint. The market offered foods and crafts, so they took the opportunity to purchase some souvenirs before focusing on their mission to hunt for the Dulahan. Connor was anxious to talk to some of the locals about the legend, so after they walked through the market, they headed to find a pub. Ireland is famous for their quaint country pubs, and it is mandatory to visit at least one. They found a nice little place called Dottie's Pub. It was exactly like Connor had imagined it. The beer was on tap, and several of the older local men were gathered around a couple of tables, swapping stories and sharing gossip. Connor and Stacia sat at the bar and ordered two pints of Guinness. He had never been fond of beer, but he wanted to feel the true experience of the Irish pub. They were sipping their beer when one of the men came to the bar and ordered another round for his table. Connor was in luck because the old guy was curious about the two strangers. He asked them if they were in town for the Samhain festivities, and then began to explain to them how their town celebrated and told them about some of their customs. He was enjoying the conversation enough to invite Connor and Stacia to join him and his friends at their table, to which they eagerly accepted. After introductions were made, it wasn't long before Connor was able to slip in a question about the local legends, particularly the Dullahan. The eyes of every man at the table grew large when Connor asked, What can you tell me about the Dulahan? Each one of them had a story. Most were stories passed down from family members, but one of them claimed to have had a personal experience, and that is the one that really intrigued Connor. He was a small, white-haired fellow with a thick country accent. They called him Neely. Neely looked to be about 80 years old, but it was hard to be sure. Come on, Neely. Tell them what happened to you out at the castle when you were a lad, Patty prodded. Well, 
he began. I was probably 13 when this happened, and that was some time ago, but the memory is still very clear. Me and my mate, Sean, had spent the day out at the Owenmore River trying to catch some fish. It was a competition for us to see who could catch the most. He stopped and cleared his throat before continuing. That day we had no luck, the fish weren't biting, so we headed back towards home, empty-handed. It was starting to get dark by the time we reached the part of the road near Ballymoke Castle, when we heard hoofbeats and creaking wagon wheels. We had heard the story growing up, so we were scared witless. We ducked as quick as we could into a small patch of weeds on the side of the road, but Sean's fishing pole had fallen off his back when we ran, so he turned and ran back to get it. As soon as he grabbed that pole, the devil rounded the corner. It was a rider on a black wagon pulled by four black horses. It nearly ran Sean completely over. It slowed for a moment as it drove by, and for the life of me, I could not see ahead atop the driver's shoulders. That wasn't the worst part, though, because when it slowed, I could have sworn I heard it say Sean's name. He stopped long enough to wet his throat with a large swig of Guinness before telling the next part of the story. Connor could tell that it was very personal to him. We thought we were going to die right then and there on the road, but to our surprise, the driver sped up and took off, like it was on a mission, and I'm sure it was. One of the farmers, a friend of my daddy's, died that night. They found him in the field. They say his hair had turned completely white, like he had saw something that scared him to death. We thought that was the end of it, but we were wrong. We didn't tell anyone what we had seen because we were afraid to speak its name. Two weeks later, Sean was helping his daddy in the field. His daddy was driving the tractor, towing a trailer that held the onions they had been planting. The trailer was linked to the tractor by a tongue and a shaft drive, connected to the power takeoff of the tractor, allowing the dump bucket to be tilted backwards by means of a lever located at the front of the trailer. Neely took another long swig of beer and then finished his story. As Sean was leaning forward to operate the lever, the free end of the scarf he was wearing was caught by the turning shaft and wrapped around it, as well as the collar of his shirt. The scarf slipped around, clamped his neck, and took his head completely off. At least that is how I was told it happened. But I knew the truth. He had come face to face with the Dullahan and was doomed to be its next victim. Connor leaned back in his seat. Wow, that is some story. Do you think it is possible to catch a look at the Dullahan without him seeing you? He asked Neely. Neely gave him a stern look and a warning. No one should ever look for the Dullahan unless they are prepared to die. It was getting late and their travels were catching up with them. Connor noticed Stacia stifle several yawns, and he was starting to feel fatigued himself. They bought a round of beer for the elder gentlemen as thanks for their stories and said their goodbyes. On the way back to the hotel, Connor was in deep thought, so it was Stacia who broke the silence. So, I guess tomorrow we are going to Ballymoke Castle? You bet we are, was Connor's reply. You bet we are. 
Look, Connor, we are in this together, but I have to admit that I am more than a little creeped out. Promise me that we will lay low and stay out of trouble, please? Stacia begged. Of course. I tell you what, we will go out to the castle and explore tomorrow, pack a lunch and spend the day until sunset. I want to get some pictures and recordings to send to Mark. I wonder if we can find the cemetery where Patty's friend Sean is buried. I'd like to get some pictures of that, too, he added. That would be too cool, Stacia replied excitedly. I love old cemeteries. Tomorrow would be their third day in Ireland, and three days until Samhain, or Halloween, as they knew it back home. Connor and Stacia stopped in at the hotel restaurant, where they had Irish stew and brown bread with butter for dinner, before heading up to their room. They both passed out almost as soon as their heads hit their pillows. The next day came late for the couple, as Stacia cursing about oversleeping woke Connor. It was almost noon. They had wasted half a day. Quickly getting ready, they grabbed their things and headed downstairs, stopping at the restaurant long enough for something to eat. They ordered corned beef sandwiches to take with them to eat later, even though now it would be their dinner instead of lunch. Luckily, it was only a 15-minute walk to the castle, so they were there in no time at all. Ballymote Castle is a large, rectangular, keepless castle built around 1300. One of the largest castles in the region, this structure played an important role in local medieval political struggles. It felt like stepping back in time as they stood on the bright green grass and stared up at the aged and moss-covered stone walls. Upon approach to this impressive castle, they were astonished by the massive ruin of the rectangular gatehouse, which is flanked by projecting half-round towers to either side of the entrance. The castle was open to the public like a park, so they were free to explore. Without a guide, the only way to learn about the castle was to Google it on their phones. Stacia found the information before Connor did and began to read out loud. The medieval castle was built by Richard de Burgh, 2nd Earl of Ulster and 3rd Baron of Connaught in 1300 as a powerful Anglo-Norman noble. He needed to protect his possessions in Sligo. He did so by constructing one of the strongest castles in the province of Connaught? I think that's how you say it. At the time. Wow. I hadn't thought about taking in history while we were here. But this is cool. Connor commented when she was finished reading. They explored every inch of the castle and took pictures of the structure. It was an impressively unexpected photo shoot. Connor knew that Mark would be green with envy, but he couldn't help but rub it in. Stacia was trying to climb up one of the smaller stone structures for a picture when she slipped and fell, twisting her ankle in the process. Damn it, Stacia, be careful! Connor barked but smoothed his tone when he realized she was hurt. Let me look at it, he said as he bent down to inspect her ankle. Can you move it? He asked. Yeah, I can move it, but it hurts like hell. I think it's sprained, Stacia said as she tried to pull off her shoe. Let's rest here for a while and see if it helps. I'm hungry again anyways, Connor suggested. So they sat right there on the grass and devoured their sandwiches before Stacia stood with Connor's help. Okay, see if you can put pressure on it. She tried, 
but the only result was a yelp of pain and Stacia almost falling back to the ground. Let me see if I can get a hold of someone in town. Maybe we can get a ride back. Connor told her as he pulled his phone out and attempted to search for a ride. That's weird, he said shortly. I don't have a signal. Try your phone. Stacia tried her phone, but she had no signal either. Well, if you can help me, maybe we can make it back before dark. It's not that long of a walk. Let's go then. I would love to spend a few hours out here after dark, but not with you unable to run if our headless horseman shows up. You would surely lose your head, madam. He then helped her up and wrapped his arm around her waist. Stacia hung onto his shoulder to keep the weight off of her hurt ankle. It was harder than they had imagined, and they were making very little progress. But they had no choice but to keep moving, stopping occasionally to check for a phone signal. They were about to the halfway mark when it began to get dark. Without any streetlights, they had to rely on the moon to light their path, and luckily, it was full. Stacia was focused on her walking when Connor suddenly stopped. Do you hear that? We may be in luck. I think I hear a car. It sounds like it's coming from the direction of the castle, but Connor, I'm not sure if that's a car. They were both staring down the road, listening, when they saw a single light bouncing in the distance. They watched closely as it grew near. It sounded like a wagon, and as they watched, they slowly began to make out its shape, but it was too dark to be sure. This episode is sponsored by June's Journey. What is horror to you? Monsters? Murder? Mystery? Well, if human monsters are your thing, June's Journey is the game for you, albeit in a more lighthearted tone. June's Journey is a hidden object game with a thrilling murder mystery set in the Roaring Twenties. You play as June on the hunt for your sister's murderer. Discover clues through exciting hidden object scenes with beautiful and atmospheric illustrations and music. Victory brings you closer to new plot points and suspenseful answers. When not hunting for clues, you can customize your own luxurious estate island with gardens, buildings, and decor. Or chat and play with or against other players too in the Detective Club, where you could even put your skills to the test in the Detective League. June's journey is both relaxing and fun to play. With my busy schedule, I find it's the perfect game to pick up and play whenever I've got a free moment. It doesn't demand too much time, and it's pretty satisfying solving puzzles quickly and unlocking new clues. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. The Headless Horseman has been a well-known figure in American culture since Washington Irving created the legend of Sleepy Hollow in 1820, especially during the Halloween season. But the majority of people are unaware of how ancient the horseman's tale is. Since at least the Middle Ages, the Headless Horseman has appeared in stories in different cultures. Civilizations around the world, including Ireland, India, Scotland, England, Germany, and America, have their own version of the story regarding a figure on horseback who lost his head. One of the most well-known stories in Irish mythology is the Dullahan. The Dullahan is best known for appearing to be headless, and there are several tales that explain how he did so. 
One of them was that he had previously served as a soldier and lost his head in battle. His wandering has been described as an endless search for his missing head. However, according to some legends, he already has his head and is writing for a more sinister reason. He is rumored to be so angry at having died that he is looking for other souls to accompany him to the afterlife. He is frequently depicted either astride a black horse that is likewise headless, or astride a black vehicle drawn by six black horses. These horses are reported to ride with such speed and ferocity that when they touch the ground, fire is said to shoot from both their nostrils and their hooves. Some claim he rides a carriage made of coffins, tombstones, and bones, which would indicate his malevolent intent to murder the innocent. He is known to hoist his severed head high into the sky in pursuit of the souls he desires to capture. He rides around the countryside wearing a long black cloak that flows behind him. His severed head has a terrible appearance, covered in rotting flesh that gives off the strong odor of rotting cheese and with the complexion of stale dough. No locked gate stays closed when he approaches, bursting open to let the Dullahan through. As he makes his way through towns and villages after dark, the people hide behind their curtains, because if anyone were to look at him, they would be immediately blinded. This he causes by whipping their eyes out with a whip made from a human spine, or by throwing a basin of blood into their eyes. He has the ability to speak only once on a journey, and that is to say the name of the person whose life he wishes to take. Once the Dullahan says this name, that person's soul is called to death, and there is no defying this call. The Dullahan does this when he stops, and it is then that he will call the name of his victim, and that person will die. The Dullahan is believed to appear after sunset on certain festivals and feast days which is when people know to be wary of looking outside after the sun has gone down. His most famous time of appearance is the pagan religious festival known as Samhain. Most of us know this as Halloween. The only thing that can frighten him is gold. Even the tiniest amount when thrown on the ground before him can cause him and his horses to suddenly stop in their path and turn to flee. During the period when the story of the Dullahan was most popular in Ireland, families were likely to possess gold. As such, they were told to use their gold to frighten him if he called upon their house. The Dullahan was believed to be a malevolent harbinger of death, whose roots lie in Celtic mythology. He is said to be the embodiment of Crom Dúl, a fertility god who demanded blood sacrifice in the form of decapitation. His worship ended with the coming of Christianity to Ireland. Frustrated by the loss of his sacrifice, he still roams the roads, calling the names of those doomed to die and carrying his head under his arm. In ancient medieval Ireland, the High King Tyrnmus, who lived from 1621 until 1544 BC, would conduct various sacrificial rituals to the evil deity named Crom Croic, also known as Crom Duv. The most common form of pagan sacrifice was human decapitation and this practice would go on for centuries until the 5th century AD, when St. Patrick ended the practice and brought Christianity into the Irish culture. As legend goes, Crom Croig took on a human form and became the Dullahan to search for souls he could take now that they were no longer being given to him. The Dullahan's appearance is said to be that of a decapitated horseman 
holding a moldy-looking head under his arm, with its eyes darting in many directions. The Dullahan is possessed with supernatural sight, allowing him to see all the Irish countryside to stalk his next victim. Whenever the Dullahan stops riding, just as mentioned before, he speaks the name of his next victim and claims his or her soul. Each ride, the Dullahan's head only has enough energy to speak that of its next victim's name to preserve its energy for its hunt. It is also said that whoever looks upon his face while he is riding for his victim either becomes blind or is marked with blood as the Dullahan's next victim. In the ancient days, the festivals of Krom Dull, which he became more popularly called, took place during late August and into September, and this is still the time of year that he is said to roam most frequently. The regions he is most often seen are the counties of Sligo and Down, and it is in the county of Down where writer W.J. Fitzpatrick claims that he spotted the Dullahan, and luckily avoided being spotted himself. This is Fitzpatrick's encounter. I seen the Dullahan myself, stopping on the brow of the hill between Bryansford and Moneyscalp, late one evening, just as the sun was setting. It was completely headless, but it held up its own head in its hand, and I heard it call out a name. I put my hand across my ears in case the name was my own, so I couldn't hear what it said. When I looked again, it was gone, but shortly afterwards, there was a bad car accident on that very hill, and a young man was killed. It had been his name that the Dullahan was calling. A second account comes from the county of Galway. A man on his way home one night between Roundstone and Ballyconnolly. It was just getting dark, and all of a sudden, he heard the sound of horses' hooves pounding along the road behind him. Looking around, he saw the Dullahan on his charger hurtling towards him at a fair speed. With a loud shout, he made to run, but the thing came after him, gaining on him all the time. In truth, it would have overtaken him and carried him away, had he not dropped a gold-headed pin from the folds of his shirt on the road behind him. There was a roar in the air above him, and when he looked again, the Dullahan was gone. While the most common Irish tale of a headless horseman is of the Dullahan, there is another story which puts the creature in a more pleasant light. In one tale from his book entitled Fairy Legends and Traditions of the South of Ireland, Thomas Crofton Croker tells of a tale about a young hero named Charlie Culnane, who meets a headless horseman with features perfectly matching that of the Dullahan. But what made this headless horseman different was its actions. The horseman spoke frequently through his severed head, while the Dullahan only spoke the name of its victims. The horseman in Croker's tale was also kind and friendly and ended up helping Colmaine with the horse race. This is an obvious contrast to the behavior of the Dullahan. Not only does the Dullahan not grant favors, but he also essentially brings death to all who encounter him. At the time of the writing of The Legend of Sleepy Hollow, the United States had been recently freed of British control, which made the characters in the story relatable to those reading it at the time. This gave the effect of making the story more believable to Irving's original audience, as the horseman himself was supposedly a Hessian soldier. Not only this, but the thought that a piece of America's recently unfree past could still be alive would most definitely be a frightening thought to an early citizen. 
But why is the idea of a headless horseman popular in storytelling around the world? Perhaps the answer lies in the fact that one of the most gruesome and terrifying forms of death is decapitation. The horror of decapitation makes for great story material, especially in a time when the French Revolution was a recent historical event. The haunting image of decapitation has disturbed people for centuries and represents extreme brutality. But perhaps the strongest characteristic of fear that decapitation personifies is the power given to the person performing the decapitation. The executioner has the power to not only end a life, but to cut off that which controls the human body, the head. From the time of King Charles through the chaos of the French Revolution, not even the king had enough power to avoid being beheaded, which in turn made everyone feel unsafe. The act of capital punishment in the form of decapitation was no stranger to the original audience of The Legend of Sleepy Hollow, since it was still a commonly used method of punishment at the time. This may be the reason why Washington Irving's The Legend of Sleepy Hollow and other folkloric tales referred to haunting spirits without heads. The most perfect horror story is one that combines the brutality of beheading, the impact of decapitation, and the notion of an undead spirit lacking any rational means of survival. While many historians assert that the Celtic tales of the Dullahan served as the inspiration for Washington Irving's The Legend of Sleepy Hollow, others dispute this. Another explanation holds that Irving was exposed to German folklore about a headless hunter while studying German with Sir Walter Scott. The Wild Huntsman, as he was referred, was a popular dark spirit of German and Scandinavian folklore who would hunt people that stepped into the wilderness at night. According to the legend, the Wild Huntsman was a headless horseman who hunted people who wandered through his forest four times at night on a gray horse with black hounds. Other nations, including France and England, also recount tales of wild hunters, but only Germany appears to depict a hunter without a head. In Brazil, the headless horseman legend is told in an intriguing twist. This South American nation has a well-known folktale about a woman who, after committing a sin that is generally regarded as sexual in nature, transforms into a headless, fire-breathing mule. The woman is doomed to transform into a mule every Thursday night. In one variation of the tale, the woman commits a sexual sin with a priest, in which case the priest turns into a headless horseman like Washington Irving's tale. But why even recount these stories? In some ways, the Headless Horseman just seems like a spooky Halloween ghost story. In the instance of the Wild Huntsman, the tale may be seen as an attempt to discourage nighttime forays into the woods. Dark forests can be risky places to explore or get lost in, and the Wild Huntsman would hunt in gloomy and dark woodlands in the Scandinavian and German countryside. Depending on the storyteller's goals, this might be done to discourage listeners from engaging in adultery or blasphemy against the church. Washington Irving may have opted to compose The Legend of Sleepy Hollow with the hope that it would draw in a lot of readers and capitalize on the widespread terror factor associated with the Headless Horseman. It's possible that he was also influenced and horrified by the numerous Headless Horseman tales from throughout the world and made the decision to write his own version of the story. Irving's work popularized the Headless Horseman legend by writing in a modern setting, and it has remained there ever since. Most legends about the Headless Horseman 
with an exception of a handful of the ones already mentioned, don't seem to describe how he lost his head. This seems a little strange to modern listeners, because decapitations happen considerably less frequently. The widespread belief among listeners in the past, however, was that if a person committed a crime and got away with it during their lifetime, they would be condemned to wander the earth as a spirit with their head under their arm. Although the reason for the head being under the arm is unclear, since losing your head is not a particularly appealing thought, it might be a technique for individuals to avoid committing crimes. With this understanding, it is clear why the majority of Headless Horseman stories omit this apparently crucial aspect. It may also be puzzling why the Headless Horseman from Washington Irving's story is connected to Halloween, when you stop to think about it. Of course, the story takes place in Sleepy Hollow around Halloween, but why is this particular season associated with this ghost? The most obvious response could be that the story's genre is horror, which fits with the Halloween theme. Another straightforward explanation is that since graveyards and pumpkins are common Halloween themes, the Headless Horseman might be carrying a pumpkin head while riding through one. The fact that All Souls Day falls two days after Halloween, however, may also be a factor. It would make sense for a Headless Horseman to ride during a time of year when the souls of the deceased are vulnerable and may be kidnapped by the Dullahan, or Washington Irving's Headless Horseman. If Irving was truly influenced by the tale of the Dullahan. The biggest enigma of all is still a mystery. Despite the Headless Horseman appearing to endure the test of time as a terrifying figure, how did a number of different civilizations develop a common, unusual spirit in their folklore? Is it just a really odd coincidence? Perhaps. Did someone transmit the Irish legend to people all over the world? Or may this phenomenon be explained by anything more superstitious at work? One thing is certain, even though it's possible that we'll never know the real answer, despite the fact that the legend of Sleepy Hollow was published over 200 years ago. Ichabod Crane's horrifying pursuer continues to resurface in international television programs and comic books. Even Disney produced a movie of Sleepy Hollow in 1949, and in 2013, Fox launched a successful television series based on the tale. Ichabod Crane, the lead character of the television series Sleepy Hollow, is situated in the present day, yet many of the plot points from the original 1820 story are still present. Despite the fact that the story wasn't portrayed from the viewpoint of colonial America, the numbers suggest that the show's success makes the Headless Horseman tale pertinent to this present day. I usually go into a number of movies at this point, and the Dullahan has made an appearance in many, but surprisingly, the Headless Spectre has also appeared in a few video games. An Assassin's Creed 3, a 2012 action-adventure video game, developed by Ubisoft Montreal and published by Ubisoft for PlayStation 3, Xbox 360, Wii U, and Microsoft Windows in the third AC game, Protagonist Connor can investigate a mystery involving a headless horseman. The character in today's story did not get his name from the game. An Elder Scrolls V, Skyrim, an action role-playing game, playable from either a first or third-person perspective. The player may encounter the headless ghost, 
if they happen to be wandering around the right part of Skyrim at night. No two night's journeys are exactly the same. The horseman wanders and does not always reach his destination before sunrise. In Puppeteer, a platform video game developed by Japan Studio for the PlayStation 3, the game's headless horseman, who also happens to be both a mare and a father, can be found in Halloweenville for obvious reasons. It appears that the headless horseman still has a number of haunting years left before the world forgets about his legend. Whether he is a headless mule or a priest in Brazil, a wild hunter in Germany, a pumpkin-wielding ghost in America, a decapitated warrior in India, or simply a fairy tale character in a children's book, the headless horseman still rides and will continue for generations to come. Save big money on everything for your next project at Menards. Spring is here making it the perfect time for outdoor projects. Suncast storage sheds are an excellent solution for protecting outdoor lawn and gardening tools. They're easy to assemble, and the all-weather construction provides water resistance and UV protection. Save big on Suncast storage sheds. View our selection of Suncast products today in-store and on Menards.com. Save big money at by the time Connor and Stacia realized what they were seeing, the black horse-drawn carriage was bearing down on them. They tried to jump aside, but Stacia's hurt ankle gave and caused her to fall to the ground with a cry of pain. Connor had lurched sideways when the weight of her body gave way, and he watched in horror, helplessly expecting to see her trampled beneath the hooves of the six black horses pulling the carriage. To his and her surprise, the carriage came to a sudden stop with the hooves stomping inches from Stacia's head, which she now had firmly wrapped in her arms in an attempt to protect herself. The horses snorted and stomped, and as Stacia uncovered her eyes, she saw the driver of the chariot jump to the ground. His black boots hit the road with a thud, and he began to walk towards her. Connor had gained his senses and rushed to her side. He tried desperately to lift her from the ground, but she was dead weight as she watched the figure approaching. When Connor realized he would not be able to move her, he jumped between her and the tall, dark figure. That is when he got a good look at their assailant. No movie or research could prepare him for what he saw before him. The sight was enough to make the bravest man's blood run cold. The specter wore a long black cloak that was floating eerily around it. There was no head to be seen atop of the body, where one should have been. It was carrying something in its hand. Connor took a step forward, ready to fight, but when he did, the creature raised the object in its hand up towards Connor. Connor froze as he stared into the decaying face of the Dullahan. Its skin hung loose, and its eyes bore into him, and suddenly, its mouth began to move. Connor. It was almost a whisper, but very discernible. It began to draw closer. Connor knew that there was nothing that he could do. From behind him, Stacia began to pull the rings off her fingers. She remembered that she had read that the specter's only weakness was its fear of gold. She had no idea at the moment if her rings had enough gold content to do the trick, but she had to try. 
so she pulled them off and yelled, Move! Connor quickly looked down at her, and when he realized what she was doing, he stepped aside. Stacia hurled her rings one at a time towards the headless creature. The first one bounced off its chest, and it suddenly stopped. The dangling head in its hand began to hiss, and the creature took a step back. Stacia threw the next ring, and it landed at its feet. This sent it climbing like a mutated giant spider back up onto its perch, where it pulled out a long whip and snapped it in the air at the horses. Stacia managed to roll out of the way, but just barely, and Connor rushed over to her. Are you okay? He asked breathlessly. That was some quick thinking, but we gotta get out of here before that thing comes back. He helped her to her feet, and they headed towards town as fast as they could go. The trees covered the road ahead, forming a natural tunnel, blocking out the moonlight in the process. Connor kept thinking he heard hooves pounding in the distance. His heart beat in unison with the sound. He drudged on, practically dragging Stacia until finally they could see the lights of town. They had made it, and without any more incident. By the time they arrived at the hotel, she could no longer walk, and he had to carry her up to their room. Connor filled a bucket with ice and packed Stacia's ankle with it. We will need to find a doctor tomorrow if it's not any better, he told her. Stacia nodded and laid her head back. I can't believe the legend is real. I can't even wrap my mind around what just happened, Connor. Connor had been thinking the same thing, but hadn't spoken it yet. But now that it was out, his fear began to grow. What are we going to do? If the Dulahan is a real thing, then what if the rest of the legend is too? Stacia took his hand in comfort. Well then, we are safe because the Dulahan has to say a name and it never spoke. Connor looked at her confused. Did you not hear it? I could have sworn it said my name, but it was almost a whisper. I think you probably imagined it. It all happened so fast, but thankfully now it's over. The last was said as she drifted off to sleep. Connor didn't sleep much that night. Every time he fell asleep, he would wake shortly after, covered in sweat, to the sounds of horses' hooves and carriage wheels. He didn't tell Stacia about the nightmares. He didn't want to let her know how scared he was. He never should have been searching for the Dulahan in the first place. It was his fault and his burden to carry alone. As luck would have it, Connor found a doctor while ordering breakfast the next morning. He was standing at the counter of the restaurant while waiting on his order. He asked the cashier if she knew where he could find a doctor that would see them on short notice. The girl smiled and said, sure, then nodded towards a bearded man sitting in the corner drinking coffee. That is Dr. Kilroy. He is retired, but loves to take care of people. It makes him feel useful. He would take a look if you asked him. Connor told her thanks and took the bagged food and headed over to the doctor's table. Sure enough, the man seemed happy, even excited to be of help. He took their room number and told Connor he would come up right after he paid his tab. Connor was thankful for the head start, 
Stacia would kill him if he brought someone into their room without warning and caught her in her pajamas without makeup. He made it to the room in time to warn Stacia, and she grabbed some clothes and took off to the bathroom to change. The doctor arrived and looked her ankle over, poking in certain areas to see where it hurt, and then made her move it around. Well, he said when he finished his examination, it isn't broken, it's just a sprain, and probably a minor one at that. I can see some mild swelling, and you have almost full range of motion. Stay off of it a couple of days and it should be fine. Connor thanked Dr. Kilroy and offered to pay him to which the doctor refused and then thanked him for allowing him to help. The next two days, Stacia watched movies and reruns on television while Connor buried himself in research. He had to find a way to break the curse that he was sure had been put on him when the Dullahan whispered his name. Everything he read said that there was no way out, no way to stop what was coming. He stayed in their room for the two days Stacia rested, only leaving to get food or anything that he needed within the hotel. He was too scared to leave the building. Stacia was up walking around by the end of the second day, saying that though her ankle was sore, she could now put her weight on it and was ready to go out for a little while. Connor's heart skipped. How could he tell her he was scared to leave? She would laugh at him or think he was crazy. He didn't want to look weak, even though right now that's how he felt. A plan began to form, and even though it was dishonest, Connor didn't care because he was desperate. He began to get ready and then began to act like he was getting sick. He claimed to be hit by sudden nausea. Stacia walked over and touched his forehead with the back of her hand. You don't feel warm. Maybe it's something you ate. Some of the foods we've been eating may be hard on the stomach, since we aren't used to them. She pushed him back and he sat down on the edge of the bed, giving her his best pathetic sick face. You've been doing all the running for me. Why don't you rest and I will go get some fresh air and bring back some dinner later. Connor smiled to himself as she left and shut the door behind her. That act always worked on his mother as well. But now he felt safe for the moment. Turning on the TV, he laid back on the bed and eventually took a nap. The room was dark when he woke later, and he was alone. He was happy that he had finally slept peacefully without dreaming. He found a note from Stacia on the nightstand beside a bag of sandwiches from a deli. It said that she was going to go listen to some music down at the bar until he woke up and that he should text her when he did. So he picked up his phone and began to text when he was stopped by the sounds of hoofbeats. They were clopping so fast it sounded like a whole herd of them. But wait, no. He was hearing the sound of wagon wheels as well. Connor walked over to the window and pulled back the curtain just enough to peek out. The streets seemed empty, except for the large black carriage parked in the street two stories down. Connor watched in horror as the driver raised its hand and held its disfigured head up towards him. Its lips moved and even though it was far away and there was a window between them, 
he heard the whispered voice again. Connor let go of the curtains and stepped back, tripping over a pair of shoes laying in the floor. He slid across the carpet, causing carpet burns on his elbows. He ignored the pain and scrambled to his feet and out of the room. He was going to find Stacia and convince her that they had to leave. Surely even a specter couldn't cross the Atlantic Ocean. He didn't know, but it was definitely worth trying, putting distance between him and this demon. He found Stacia sitting at the bar just like she had said she would be. She was shocked to see him. Are you okay? You're as white as a sheet, she said as she tried to fill his forehead again. No, Stacia, that's not it. Come with me, I have to talk to you about something. He was saying this as he was trying to drag her out of the restaurant. Wait, Connor, I have to pay for my drink. He let her go and waited, looking constantly over each shoulder while she paid her bill. When they left, he was walking so fast that she had to ask him to slow down. He turned and gently took her hand. I'm sorry. I'm just not myself. I will explain upstairs where no one can overhear me. Stacia squeezed his hand and feigned understanding and walked with him to the elevator and then back to their room. The first thing Connor did when they reached their room was walk over to peek out the window. He looked down at the street where he had seen the specter earlier, but now all he saw were a few people walking down the sidewalk. No horses, no carriage, and no headless rider were anywhere to be seen. Relief for the moment, he took a deep breath and began to explain to Stacia what was going on. First of all, I need you to believe me, and don't say anything until I'm done. He looked her in the eye and told her what was happening to him. The night out on the road, that was not a local playing a trick, and we didn't imagine it. It was a Dulahan. It held its head in its hand. I saw it, and it said my name. But, Stacia tried to say something, but he held his hand up and proceeded. Wait, let me finish. I have been having nightmares every night that this thing is chasing me, until just a while ago. I slept more peaceful than I have since that night. But when I woke up, I heard it. I walked over to the window and there it was, with its carriage and its ghostly horses, holding its head in its hand. Those dead eyes were looking up at me, and it said my name again. It's after me, Stacia. I am marked for death. Stacia didn't know what to believe. She had seen it too. She did believe, but she didn't want to. We need to go home. Maybe if we can get you there, it will go away, or we can find a way to stop it. Connor agreed wholeheartedly and then some. He grabbed his laptop and began looking for flights. He found one that they could be on by noon the next day, but he ended up having to call to make the changes. They didn't sleep much that night, so they watched sci-fi movies and infomercials until the sun came up. They packed up their room and then checked every space twice to make sure they hadn't forgotten anything before heading down to check out. Checkout was quick, and they were headed to the train station in minutes. It finally occurred to Stacia that they had forgotten to do something. 
We didn't check the train schedule. We have no idea when the next one will be here. Jeez. We're already headed that way now. Let's just go check it out. Maybe we'll get lucky. I just want to get out of here, Connor said desperately. They were not in luck this time, but it could have been worse. There was an hour to wait until the next train arrived. They paid for their tickets and sat on the wooden bench out front to wait. Connor jumped at every passing sound. He was a nervous wreck, and it was starting to rub off on Stacia, who couldn't quit searching the streets and sidewalks looking for a tall, cloaked figure. The train finally arrived, and once they were safely on board, Connor's worries began to ease. He was still nervous, but on the train he felt temporarily safe again. The train ride was less than 20 minutes, but Stacia dozed off and slept on his shoulder the entire time. He felt bad for bringing her here. He felt bad for being weak, for feeling like a coward. He had texted Mark and told him what had been going on, and Mark laughed at first, but when he realized the seriousness in Connor's tone, he promised to research non-stop until he found answers. They had to order an Uber to the airport from the train station but made it with minutes to spare. By the time they checked in and made it through security, it was time to board. It felt like they were literally running out of Ireland, with a demon straight from hell hot on their tails. In the shelter of the plane, Connor began to calm again. He even finally fell asleep once they were in the air. But his sleep was consumed with dreams of a horse, with glowing red eyes, carrying a rider with no head. It chased him down roads covered with trees, through fields full of wheat, and through cities crowded with people without relenting, until finally Connor woke screaming, scaring everyone on the plane. The stewardess hurried to check on him. Once she saw he was okay and understood that he had been dreaming, she went to get him a drink. She came back moments later with two small bottles of Crown Royal. Here, this will help you relax. If you need any more, let me know, she said with a kind smile and a wink. The connecting flights encountered some rough weather, so the flights were both turbulent and choppy. Connor, already on edge, looked like he hadn't slept in days by the time they landed in Jacksonville. He hadn't tried to sleep anymore, but instead tried his best to stay awake. Stacia was worrying over him like a mother hen. She felt as guilty as he did for making the trip to Ireland. They should have just gone to New York. The airport was crowded, and Stacia almost had to fight her luggage away from some guy who grabbed it and gave a fuss until he realized what he had done. Not wanting to wait on an Uber, they caught a taxi right out in front of the airport to drive them home. When they arrived at their one-bedroom house, Connor threw the luggage to the side of the room and plopped down on the couch, where he fell asleep almost instantly. Stacia was happy to see it. She didn't know what their next move was, but for tonight she would rest and wait to see what happened. Connor woke the next morning refreshed and relieved to find himself home in his own living room. He walked to each window and looked outside. Nothing. No horses, and no headless man. Thank God. 
Feeling suddenly brave, he walked over to the door and stepped out onto the porch. Inhaling deeply and then exhaling before stepping off the porch to test his nerve. That is when he saw the kitten. It was wandering around right in the middle of the road. Connor didn't think. He just ran to grab it before it could get hit by a car. It hissed and scratched him when he surprised it by scooping it up. He dropped the kitten and it scurried off down a storm drain. Ungrateful little beast, Connor was saying. But then he stopped. He stopped because he heard it. The sound of hooves pounding on the pavement. The sound of carriage wheels rolling at high speed. The sound of his name filling the air all around him. Stacia began screaming. She had walked to the open door to look outside. That is when she saw Connor standing in the road in a daze as a garbage truck hit him and sent his body flying. Thank you for listening to Freaky Folklore, the podcast about mankind's horrifying legends and myths. Don't forget to follow Freaky Folklore on Spotify and iTunes. If you can, leave the show an honest review on iTunes to help us grow. Freaky Folklore is part of the EerieCast Podcast Network, the home for listeners who love to feel scared. Go to EerieCast.com to find other terrifying podcasts, such as Tales from the Break Room and Destination Terror. If you would like to submit an encounter or suggestions for future episodes, you can email them to carmencarrion at gmail.com. That is C-A-R-M-A-N-C-A-R-R-I-L-N at gmail.com. You can also follow me on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook for information on future episodes. Tune in next week as we discuss Tutankhamun's tomb and the legend of its ancient curse. Until next time, stay safe out there, because this world is a strange one.